Moss Media. What's happening? Look at us. We're back. The podcast is back. It's been long enough, right? Too friggin' long. It's been a busy year. Uh, I'll fill you in on some stuff in just a bit. First, I just want to welcome you and say the show is back. And uh, we also have a Patreon going and want to thank the, uh, the Patreon folks that have stuck with me throughout this year. You're amazing. I love each and every one of you. And of course, you for listening right now. Appreciate you checking out the show as we start a new season with the great Tommy Gomes, the fishmonger who's got his own TV show, native San Diegan, former commercial fisherman, and he's just ruling the world right now, and also one of the realest humans I know. And I, I think you'll like our chat, because whenever Tommy and I get together, it's nothing but real talk and putting it all out there. First, I do want to thank our sponsors, Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance. It's the only way to go. You don't want to let an accident south of the border ruin your trip. You can get valid insurance to Mexico in, in under five minutes. Easy way to buy insurance, insurance you can trust. They've got a simple online form at BajaBound.com and take care of it before you hit the road. Also want to thank March and Ash. It's interesting because uh, Tommy has been sober, our guest here in recovery for, for many years. So for him to come to uh, our facility, which is located in the same office complex as, uh, as, as March and Ash, it's kind of funny, and you'll hear about that in a few. But if you are looking for safe, legal access to cannabis, March and Ash, marchandash.com, they've got delivery, curbside pickup, or just get involved with, uh, just go to one of the shops, retail shops. They have uh, locations in Mission Valley, Chula Vista, Imperial Beach, up in Vista. They're coming to Sabre Springs. Basically, San Diego's cannabis operation. They're, they're kind of like the ballast point of cannabis here in San Diego. But uh, I also happen to know the owners and the entire group and uh, just uh, top-notch operations. So if you do dabble in the world of cannabis for medicinal or recreational use, I definitely recommend, not only re telling you, you need to go to March and Ash, marchandash.com. And then finally... As it relates to what's going on here uh, and why the first half of the year plus now ha has been dormant in regards to the podcast, it's because behind the scenes, I've been working on a, uh, a new startup by the name of Olas Media, which you can find online at olasmedia.com. And we're a production house, podcast house. We do production services for people who are looking to start their own podcast. And then we're also building out our own network. This show's on the network, Monday Mass. Chris Cote, a lot of the old you, you shows are, are now on the Olas Network. You is still alive, by the way, and more on that later. But as it relates to the podcast, under the umbrella of Olas for waves, sound waves. I'm also a fan of Las Olas, but that's another story. But uh, yes, we've got this new company. It's very exciting. It's been a lot of work behind the scenes, but we've got a studio in Mission Valley, which is pretty awesome, broadcasting or podcasting from it now. And then we have, like I said, shows that we're also producing behind the scenes, including a lot of names you're probably familiar with. Uh, you know, Mike Halloran, Halloran from the radio. He's got a show we're working on called Podcrastination, where he interviews a lot of people in the music industry. And then we also have uh, The Local Pile, speaking of music, hosted by Tim Piles of Loudspeaker over at uh, that, that, that place I used to work for many years. So Tim's got his show over here. 
focused on San Diego local music. Then we also have a history show in development by the name of Stay Classic San Diego. And what else? I mean, the list goes on. Olasmedia.com. And if you yourself would like to start a podcast, feel free to reach out. I know somebody. <laughs> All right. Let's get to Tommy Gomes, Tommy the Fishmonger. And uh, this should be cool. I think you're going to like this. Drugs, prison, homelessness, the whole ball of wax in, you know, getting fired from a job after 17 years of just fucking bleeding for it. Yeah. You know? Yes. This is what I tell kids that I'm talking to that are like at Kitchens for Good and stuff, you know? There are people in, that you're going to meet in your life. Don't deny them the chance to meet the real you. Because there's people out there that love and care about you that you haven't met yet. Don't deny them the chance to meet the real you. That's so powerful. Not the bullshit wall that we all put up and the real you. And good things are going to happen. You're right. Did you have, and we're going by the way. Yeah. yeah. Did you have moments in your life though where you were like tripping out? Because of like your age. That, that's where I'm stuck now. My age and my placement in life right now. Did that ever happen with you? Yeah, it really did. And, and uh, um, not, you know... Not everybody in your circle's in your corner. And when, once you leave wherever it is that you are, once you get knocked down from there, they scatter like cockroaches when the light comes on. You're so right. And help comes from the places that you least expect it. I can tell you a story. So I took, care of my, I took care of my dad. My dad died at home, took care of my father to the end. Uh, took care of my mom. She had dementia. I took care of my mom all the way. To the end. Grown men in prison didn't talk to me the way my mother did at the end. I mean, it was brutal. I was just like, holy shit, man. Yeah. Where is this coming from? And, you know, things were not good, man. And out of the blue, I get a check from an anonymous person who I later tracked down for 10 G's. And it carried me uh, through the pandemic, dealing with lawyers. And I was, I was, I went down to the docks because that's what I do. And and uh, I just lost my job in seventeen years. And I went down to the do docks, and I was cutting fish. And one of the commercial fishermen down there, you know, we didn't get along because he was a fisherman and I was working for the company that was buying the fish. And so you're a company guy. Right. We didn't get along. He, he hired me to work and cut fish and was paying me decent money and carried me through. And then the pandemic and we started marketing, you know, come down to the docks. We can take care of you. You know, times are hard. We're selling sushi grade number one cuts of tuna for $10 a pound. Come get it right off of the boat. And we marketed this and we grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and it was great. And uh, that, that guy, David Hayworth and Pete Grillo, these two guys that own fishing boats helped carry me through the pandemic and if and if it wasn't with them if it wasn't for them i don't know what i would have done and then my business partner mitch who owns mitch's seafood he and i had been friends for years he's like let's open a market i'm like dude i am tapped i got nothing <laughs> i can relate to this space my dude i, I got nothing this my parents crazy. just died i spent everything i had on on saving my father's house where you are now? Yeah. 
which is cool, man. It's at the end of Sunset Cliffs up on the hill. I got a great view and everything. It's an old, funky house, and it's okay because I'm an old, funky dude. Yeah. You know, thought about selling it because it's it's worth a considerable amount. There's no mortgage, and I, you know, was looking around the house and everything. I'm like, I can't sell this house. There's great, great, great grandkids, not just grandkids, but great, great, great grandkids that have had their diapers changed on that couch. You can't sell. Especially this day and age, I look at houses like they're going to stay oh. in families for generations, or they have to, unless there's no one behind you. I still live in the garage. I've been to your place. You do. I still <laughs> live it. in the garage. <laughs> I got a great it. view from the garage, yeah, man. Yeah, you do. But I still live in the garage, you know, and I rented a, one of the rooms out to uh, my corporate attorney, and uh, she's got the whole house, you know, and people are like, you know, how much did you rent that out for? I go, eh, 800. It's <laughs> like, are you crazy? I go, look, man, it's just life, man. They, they, it throws curveballs at you, bro. And, and you're like in batting practice, man. You got to keep swinging. You do. You know, there are people out there that are betting against you. Every day that you win, you win the bet. Bet on yourself. You're so right. And I wasn't prepared for that. I'll be honest. Dude, not only is it a gut shot, but you get kicked in the balls. You do. Yeah, and it, and you know what? It's okay so long you can you can wake up and look at the man or woman in the mirror, um, and say that you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Yeah, you know, I'm not a hundred percent. Never going to be. I'm not as fucked up as a lot of people are out there. Truth. You know, and neither are you. You know, we go through these trials and tribulations, and I mean, come on, man. I fished all over the world. I got strung out on dope. Did ten years in fucking prison straight did nine years eight months 18 days Damn. hit the gate i knew i was a drug addict started drinking drank myself into the gutter literally into the gutter of ob i was one of the walnuts down there man people would cross the street to get away from me damn and now they cross the street to shake my hand and go hey, hey i saw you on tv yeah and it wasn't on cops <laughs> but <laughs> was it on kusi yeah and then you know yeah, it wasn't a high-speed chase from the helicopter but um but then good things start to happen you know and i started paying more attention to uh to things you know about like you know Put good energy out. Try yeah. and put out good energy. Did you have trust issues too at uh, this point? Yeah. 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 Because that's been the hardest thing for me when it comes to building and forging those new relationships. I find myself having trust issues. Yeah. Well, it's it definitely is a cover your ass thing. And, you know, it's unfortunate in today's times. Um, you have to lawyer up. And I'm very grateful that I have... Um, my my lawyer, who's the roommate, lives upstairs. She's a Muay Thai fighter. She's a Spartan athlete. She's an uh, executive chef who used to cook at the Culinary hey. Arts Institute. She's a total slacker, man. Total slacker, right? <laughs> Just like us, right? Has and, the same drive we do. Yeah, and she's she's you know badass at what she does, and she has my best interest. You know, there's times when we'll be in a conversation and she looks at me and just says, shut up. Okay. <laughs> She'll run the room. Yeah. And then there's the whole, uh, there's the whole pray thing. You know, it's okay, man, to pray. Yeah. I don't believe, 
I mean, it's not that I don't believe it, I, but I see that it's not. I see that it's not acceptable to pray in public. I see that. Yep. So you, you know, I'm constantly thinking about, you know, okay, show me a little sign, give me a little bit of grace here. I need a little bit of help. Yeah. And and it's okay, man. It's okay. It's not like you're out there on the corner, you know, with a Bible screaming at the top of your lungs. But you know, wherever you can find a spiritual outlet that's going to give you a positive outlook on life then that's the path that you need to take every once in a while you're basically surrendering surrendering and letting whatever needs to come in come in yeah and it's okay to ask for help i agree it's okay and even you know so what if you're not as independent and all that like for me i suck bro i've got to have friends i have to be able to call somebody and just talk to them and you know i gotta be social i gotta be you know at the new at the new fish market you know when people walk in i want my staff hey welcome to the market you know and and i'll hey you want to try something let's try this and that and this and feed them and you know the whole mom thing about feeding people and all that and when you're talking about being selfless and yeah giving and you're feeding another human being that's that's no there's nothing more beautiful and sacred than that yeah and and especially with something that's from mother earth versus some processed bullshit you're not slinging ramen noodles out of a can you know thank you because i'm in the seafood business Wild seafood is the only protein that we don't manufacture, man. We manufacture our beef or chicken. That's my point. So, you know, people eat a, you know, a beautiful piece of tuna. That, that I mean, we're dry aging fish right now, you know, and today I saw. Was it Jesus a fisherman? Yeah, right. He was a gill netter too. Yeah. <laughs> they outlawed them. <laughs> California outlawed gill netting. It's like, what? But, um, you know, I served some tuna today that was uh, 18 days dry aged. And people were like this is this is amazing this is like butter you know yeah yeah and we'll talk about the biz for sure we'll get to that but staying on uh, what we're talking about here it's interesting to me too because you know you're talking about these hardships that you face just around the pandemic but it's all, it, 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 I know I know it's a mind fuck when you're going through these hardships yet everybody around town knows you knows your name yeah. and assumes you're actually in a different place than you might actually be at that particular moment. I, yeah, and that's and it's funny because I have friends <clears throat> I have friends, bro, close for personal friends that I've known for 50 plus years. I'm 61. And I have friends that are like you know, my buddy, my, I call him Fat Bob. We've known each other forever. Right. He'll call me up. He's like, hey, stupid. I'm flipping through the channels and there you are. So I kept flipping. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my buds. You know, my friend Monica, we've known each other since we were seven years old, man. And she used to come visit me and bring my kid when I was locked up, you know, in Arizona and California and all over the country. You know, she would show up with my kid. And even though we don't talk, you know, there'd be months and months and months or eight months to a year, you know, call and just see how things are going. But they're always there. And and again, you know, don't deny there's people out there that love and care about you. Don't deny them the opportunity to meet the real you. Be true to you and be true to them. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless you're just totally scandalous and you know you're just working the system we used to call it county raised state funded and federally housed <laughs> you know yeah you're just scandalous the whole system yeah the system's yeah the system's fucked up 
Well, you were just telling me as you pulled up. So our studios are located above a dispensary. Yeah. Yet you've got buddies who are getting out of prison right now. 30, 33 years, man. My bro just got out last week. For doing what we're sitting above right now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I think it's so wrong. And let, me, let me say that. Yeah. And he's driving, you know, and he's seeing, he's getting a ride home and he's seeing billboards. For you know, weed. We deliver. We deliver right <laughs> to your house. And he's like, like I just did 33 years. I was delivering. <laughs> Dude. You know? It's so crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's nuts. And But you know what, bro? The hippies had it right. You know, smoking weed, microdosing. It's all coming back around full circle. Isn't it nuts with the, with the mushrooms now? Microdosing is a thing. I've been clean and sober 17 years. I don't, I don't smoke weed. I don't do anything. You know, rarely I'll take an aspirin. I don't, right. I don't. And, uh. I'm like, you know, there's that little part of me that was like, oh, wow. Because I watch a documentary about microdosing, and I'm like, oh, wow, man, maybe I should try that. And yeah. then that other side of me goes, no, don't do that. It might trigger. And I'm like, oh, yeah, huh. Yeah, yeah I don't, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say wanna, either way. I don't want to do it, man. <laughs> I can't. Well, see, I'm somebody who does a time. I, I do microdose, uh -huh. and I do use cannabis, but then I look at you, and I say, man, I want to go on the sober train. I don't know, man. I mean- that's, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. In, but what was your drug, though? My, my drug was never alcohol. No, coke. my my drug was meth back yeah, in the see, day. But you got to remember, in the 80s, I was fishing out of Panama. The gateway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Read between the lines. Right. You know, I just got strung out really bad on meth. But meth was different back in the late 80s, early 90s. You it was know? a cleaner? Yeah, I, I mean, I got busted in 1991, and I went to prison. And so, what your early 30s at this point? Yeah, and I I went to prison in 91, um, and got out in 2000, right after 2000, to mid, almost 2001. Damn, where'd um, you where'd you do time? Holy shit! Everywhere they move you around. Yeah, yeah, I self surrendered. The judge self gave me self surrender because my father had put up his house and everything. I Get self, you out? No. I Yeah, I bailed out. But I self-surrendered to Lompoc Federal Penitentiary in Lompoc, where self-surrender is where you're... you're dad and your older brother drives you up there and you get out and you walk up to the gate and you push a button and they come get you. Damn, I've only seen that in the movies. And you're like, okay, man, here we go. No formal... No trial, no... I mean... No, I pled out because I was, you know, it was like... You know, you take the 10 mandatory minimum or lose the trial and look at 40 plus. Oh, so you and just took the 10, obviously. So I just took the 10, yeah. Self-surrender, Lompoc up there uh, above Santa Barbara. Yeah, I was in Lompoc for a while. Then I ended up in Arizona, three different places in Arizona, Fort Dix, New Jersey, Sandstone, Minnesota, Leavenworth, which is uh, different. <laughs> uh, went to Atlanta. Here's this long-haired peckerwood from the West Coast. Diego. <laughs> at USP Atlanta. Not a warm welcoming. Knew a couple of homeboys from San Diego from the fifth floor. They had gotten busted for crack. So I was cool. They were, you know, we all grew up in the same area, San Diego. So it was all right. I did okay. You know, I mean, I did all that time. I still got no ink. I've no, never put a tattoo on it. And it's another idea. Fights, fights. You know, um, there's a rule in 
prison and it's pretty simple man mind your own business don't fuck no punks don't gamble don't do no dope and you'll be okay yeah you know and that way you don't owe anybody money and you just do your time and mind your own business and, and i was in federal prison man it's great it's life different. advice too it's different yeah but federal <laughs> prison is different than state prison you know we they like to say that we had uh oh you guys did easy time time's time man you miss birthdays you miss uh births you miss graduations quinceaneras you miss death oh. you miss marriages you miss the sunset the sunrise how did you keep your sanity I did leatherwork, arts and crafts. You saw some of my stuff at yeah. the house. Um, prison's a lot of things, but I'll tell you what it's not, man. Prison ain't cool in any way, shape, or form. Nobody wants to talk about the pain that you feel inside. Hell no. For missing things, because you can't show weakness, man. You know, you can't show weakness. You show weakness, vulnerability, you're dead. Right? Yeah, and, and, you know, you'll get taken advantage of because, you know, the chicken hawks and... and you know, shit like that. But I mean, you, you, I met some great dudes, man, and I'm still in contact with them today. You have a lot of friends from that have gotten out since. Yeah. It's good, solid individuals, you know? Um, and they're real people and they're real dudes. And, and like I said, prison's a lot of things, but it's not cool. Right. And I don't know where this whole tough guy image persona came about, about, you know, well, I went to prison. So what, dude? We all went to prison. Yeah, right. You know, you get your whammer booked, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I never subscribed to that. You know? I, I, I would, I couldn't survive, man. Yeah, you'd be fine. I, I know, I'd figure it out, but still, yeah, my mind's my worst enemy. I wouldn't be worried about the guy in the next cell. I'd be worried about the guy in between my ears. Yeah, the man in the mirror and the man in your head. Yeah, can really, you know, it's like the good devil and the bad devil on your shoulders, and that's why, and that's why every once in a while, uh, it's okay to look up and. I do it. Tell you a funny story, and I haven't told this on the air, but I'm getting transferred, and I'm in a I'm at Phoenix FCI Phoenix, and I'm in a holding cell, and there's 60 bunk beds, 120 packed into this room, right? And I walked in, and there was a very back corner bunk on the bottom. I took from a guy. I said, "That's my bunk. Get out." I took this bunk, and the they were all lined up in rows and down at the end of the row were the, were the shitters, right? So they called chow and everybody went to chow and I wasn't hungry and I wasn't going into chow because this was a new facility. Got to feel it out, right. figure out who's running what, who's running the yard and all that. <clears throat> all of a sudden I'm sleeping with my back against the wall, my legs up on the bunk. I'm sleeping with my arms crossed, my eyes are closed and I feel these hands come down and grab me by the shoulders. I'm up against the wall, and I wake up, and there's nobody there. And as I look down, I lean out of my bunk, and I look down the hallway, I see this old man coming out of the shitter stall, and he's clutching his chest, he's got his pants down around his ankles, and he drops right there. Damn. And I go back to sleep, and I hear, nobody deserves to die in prison. I mean, I hear that, and I open up, and there's nobody there. I get up, I walk over, I drop to the floor. 
I'm doing CPR on this guy. Now, mind you, we're in prison. He's got his pants down around his ankles. I'm on top of him, giving him CPR, mouth to mouth, and pumping his chest. Jesus. Right? And in walks this guy in a monkey suit, in a suit and tie and everything. I look at him and I go, hey, I know you think we're all pieces of shit, but I need some fucking help. Can you get me some help? And he whips out the radio. I'm not going to mention his name, but he whips out the radio and he says, warden, blah, blah, blah. I need help health services he hits the body alarm and you know the warden hits the body alarm all the guards in the in the area come running to that sure. spot they see me on the ground given what looked like i was tussling but i was giving mouth to mouth they pounce on me kick the living crap out of me because they think you're beating on the fucking dude yeah they beat the crap out of me right drag me off them I get taken to the hole, and every day the guards would come by and say, ask me questions. I said, I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to answer. I fell down. I fell down. The lieutenant and the captain come and talk to me, and they want to know what happened. I said, I fell down the stairs. I fell down the stairs. You're not going to sit there and rat on the guards for kicking the shit out of you, even right. if they did it in front of a warden. You just don't do that. You don't rat. So the captain looks at me, and he goes, there's no stairs. And I go, well, I fell down them. They take me into the warden's office. So I had my teeth broken. I was just a wreck. Man. Damn, man. I was in the hole for three weeks. After the swelling went down and everything, they went in to see the warden. Warden, I didn't, you know, the only time I knew he was a warden was when he called on the radio. So I go into his office. He said, ask the captain and lieutenant to leave. And I'm like, ah, shit, man. Here it comes. He says, uh, what made you do that? I said, you know what, Warden, I'm not going to bullshit you. I heard a voice that said, nobody deserves to die in prison. I opened my eyes, I saw it, and I reacted to it. He says, it's very commendable what you did. Uh, anyways, long story short, the guy was a state senator doing time for tax evasion. The warden asked me where I wanted to go. I said, I, was, I know that I was heading to the East Coast. I said, anywhere west of the Rockies. Don't send me east. east. My family is in San Diego. I want to go west of the Rockies. So he sent me to a minimum, <laughs> a minimum security camp in Boron, California. No fences. Out in the middle of nowhere. Paradise. And <laughs> I get there. Yeah, comparative. Yeah, I get there, and the lieutenant that was at the place in Phoenix was now a captain where I was at. And he pulls me over and he says, you got to be careful here. If you even fart, you're going to get ratted on. This place is a cheese factory. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I'm looking around and I recognize a guy and he's looking at me and I give him a nod and he gives me a nod. I'm like, all right, so I'll talk to him later. Right. So you go through receiving and discharge R and D what they call it. I get out on the yard and the dude that I had recognized, we'd done time in Lompoc. And he's like, bro, whatever you do, don't talk to anybody here. Whatever you say is going to be used against you. This is worse than court. Why? <laughs> Just because everybody in there had ratted on somebody to get to a place like that. Got it. 
instead of having to start off at a higher level and work your way down because you were a model inmate, you didn't cause any problems or stuff like that. It was, it was just. So you're, you know that you're in this place and you don't want to threaten, you don't want to leave this place. Yeah. It's, so you'll rat on somebody for farting. Yeah. If it saves you from getting put someplace else. Yeah. And so we, we ended up closing down Boron and we, I went to Victorville, the new yep. high security Victorville. So that was different, but it, it all boils down to all of these things in my life. It's all come full circle a couple of times. And I don't mean like a vortex or a, where you're going to get sucked down into something. It's just things come full circle, man. If you put good out and you have good intentions, it comes you back. have good heart. Oh, I've seen that and felt that a million You know, times. even though you can act a, a badass and all of that, I mean, you still have good, I mean, come on, man. If a two-year-old little girl hands you a play toy and it's a telephone, you pick it up and say hello. Right. That's the kind of person we all are. Yep. You know, and we've, can't fake that man it's you know the only person that you're faking is yourself and i think that's also probably what makes you connect to that higher power is knowing that when you do put the good out the good comes back when you're feeling shitty when you're in that rut the good doesn't come to you no when you start living selflessly yeah put positivity out there yeah it comes back and that also probably i would imagine makes you more of a believer asking for help and looking up is it's okay man it's okay you're going to be okay and as i get older just like within the past two years i reflect on the stupid shit that i did as i was a kid yep. the stupid stuff i put my parents through the stupid things that we did and i reflect on that and i'm like god man i wonder how that person is or i wonder whatever happened to this and you know you're sitting there and it's not really getting in your head it's just thinking about things that you've done in your life and you know um it's okay to ask for forgiveness it's okay to say you're sorry it's okay to admit when you're wrong it's okay and you can't be condemned for that um and you just move on. So when things started swinging around for you, it sounds like you got out of prison, you became kind of like a, a local San Diego media star. You know, just you were Tommy the Fishmonger, yeah. the, the YouTube, the TV appearances, every single TV station in town chasing you down, wants to be seen with you. But then it sounds like that ran its course after many years. You found yourself kind of in this spot. Yeah. And now this new version of you is just snowballing. Well, none of this, none of this uh, whole Tommy the Fishmonger thing would never have come about without Dave Rudy, the owner of Catalina Offshore, who fired me, who let me go. We came to an agreement. I had to go. Friendly divorce. Uh Mom was sick, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, just kept going, man. I, I had built I had built that whole hashtag Tommy the Fishmonger, trademark copyright, by the way. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and But you also watched it come down and you had to rebuild it. Yeah, I had to rebuild it. And so I did, you know, during the pandemic, man. People were like, okay, 
Tommy says, go here to buy fish. We're going here. And we were doing, you know, fish on Friday videos, seafood Saturday. This is where you go. This is what's going on. This Went is where you want to get go. my lobster. Come down and get lobsters. I have lobsters. I'm buying lobsters from the commercial fishermen. And, you know, and those guys, all those commercial fish, they knew I wasn't flush, but they were like, shit, man, let's, let's see what he can do. And they would come in and I'd get three, four, 500 pounds, you know, and paying $21 a pound. On credit. So you were slinging as yourself at this point, correct? Yeah, yeah. Where before you were working for the man, the man. Yeah. and they're using your likeness and personality to help move their operation yeah. and business. Yeah. That comes comes crashing down, and then you go back to your roots, and you're just slinging on your own. Yep. Love it. Cutting fish, slinging on my own. Um and then things start, you know, things started. I had some great connections in the restaurant industry. I still do, you know, um, real chefs that are would call and go, hey, I need this. And I would go, well, you can get it here. And they go, no, you go get it and I'll buy it from you. Good. You know, so you, I worked out a deal with a couple of seafood markets and, and uh, wholesalers and they gave me a credit line. Now, mind you, I didn't have anything. I had nothing, man. Yeah. I had a bunch of bills. I had nothing coming in, the pandemic. You know, what's funny is I look at my social security thing, you know, you get that yeah. every year. And I got that blank spot because I was locked up for 10 <laughs> years. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to be working forever. I got a blank spot too. I got a couple of blank spots and I wasn't locked up. My friend Mitch, <laughs> Mitch Conniff, who's a, the guy's just an extremely smart individual. He owns Mitch's Seafood. What an operation. I don't know him, but yeah, damn. no. And he came to me and he's like, cause we had talked and bullshitted off and on over the years, you know, Hey, let's open up a fish market. Yeah, let's do this. And then we did. And then we landed the choices spot. Dude, How we landed that, you know, amazing was, was because of the backing of the commercial fishermen that, okay. Yeah. Tommy, we want to, we want to back you. You're going to buy local fish. You're going to support us. We're going to, and they went to the port and they brought, you know, their signatures and they submitted it to the port and the coastal commission. And then Tom Driscoll, who has the lease, we were like, look, man, we want to build a fish market here. And he was like, okay. And he cut us a smoking deal. Didn't charge us rent during the whole time because. So you could build it out during yeah, the pandemic. Yeah. And then the whole pandemic thing is like trying to get equipment. And then, you know, my workers, yeah, my contractor, Dave Nichols, the guy's just, his crew is just insane. They were like, yeah, don't worry about this. And don't worry about that. And we'll get it. We'll get it through. We'll get it through. And I'm not a numbers guy. I don't do numbers. I just don't, man. I suck at math. New math, old math, calculus, whatever. I suck. <laughs> Probably bad at balancing the checkbook like I, myself. I never balanced a checkbook in my life. We ended up getting this shop open. But you know something about the checkbook, bro? Here it is. You want to know how old school and funky I am? You still write checks. <clears throat> Not only do I still write checks, I don't have an ATM card. I don't do any online banking whatsoever. And I walk in to the bank and I only bank at that branch. I love it. I have several different banks that I bank at. Right. But, but you only go to the one branch. I go to that one branch because uh, I don't even, ah, this is so stupid. <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> my bank account numbers. I walk in, the tellers know me and I'm you like. Just, they just know to bring up your name. And I go, hey, can I get, you know, I need to put gas in my truck. Can I get a hundred bucks? <laughs> And they fill out the paperwork and hand it to me, and I sign it. Do you have a wallet? 
I do have a wallet. Okay. Yeah. And people look at me like, bro, you got to get with the times. I go, no, I don't. No, you I listen to 70s funk on Pandora. And the people are like, dude, who are you? What are you listening to? I'm like, what do you mean, man? I did want to ask, and I was confused. So what did you end up getting thrown in prison for? Were you dealing? Five pounds. No, I put together a deal. It was five pounds of meth. Uh, okay. I, I knew a, a guy. a considerable amount of meth. I, but. I knew a guy. This is just. A consp I was arrested for conspiracy, intent to distribute, possession with intent to distribute, and all of that because I knew Mr. A was looking for dope. I knew him for my whole life. I introduced him to Mr. B. You know, I was the guy who put it together, so I ended up doing time. The guy that I knew my whole life was a confidential informant for the DEA working off his case. The guy that actually had the dope, he turned around and he, he, ratted right and he got way less time i did i held my mud and i you know you were in the middle I lawyered up my parents lawyered me up hard and uh he was my lawyer was straight up thomas warwick i mean very famous grimes and warwick law firm um he was like look dude the best you're gonna do is 10 you know we can you know plead out get your 10 and otherwise you're gonna take this thing to trial and you're gonna be in trouble yeah and even though he was one of the best attorneys at the time. That's the best he could do. It was a mandatory minimum. That's just the way it is. Right. You don't win against no. the feds. They come back and get you on something else. And, you know, it could be anything. It could be tax evasion. I mean, they, what we call Al Capone. They could Al Capone you. Yep. Prison saved my life. Even though I got out and I started drinking really bad. You know, and that was a whole nother revelation. There's a video out there from... Uh, Mutual of Omaha, Aha Moments with Tommy Gomes. Okay. That's pretty powerful. I think I remember that. Yeah. Was, what was that? It was about how I got sober and my aha moment when my daughter came down. You know, Always I, the kids, and, right? Yeah, and I was just shit-faced, like always. Um, I said, Dad, I lost you to prison. I can't lose you to the bottle. And I was so bad bro that i had my throat was burned from the acid in my stomach my yep. lips were burned um my knees were permanently bruised and scarred because i was constantly on them throwing up no i had to drink alcohol in order to sleep because i had to keep my my blood alcohol level at a certain thing i woke up i drank of course right off the bat and i drank all day long what was your drink vodka vodka yeah. of course that was the cheapest stuff that you exactly. could get you know, started out drinking VO high end, ended up as a gutter drunk, drinking pop off. Now, how old are you at this time? Because I like putting things to age. I'm 61 now. I've been sober 17 years. Okay, so early 40s. Yeah. So. And did you do the program, the whole bit? So, yeah, this is the good part. So, <clears throat> I turned myself into this place called the San Diego Freedom Ranch. Who? Freedom Ranch, yeah. Freedom Ranch. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I roll up in there with a brand new hefty garbage bag full of dirty clothes. I, go, I need help. They go, oh, we're sorry, we're, you're full. And I unroll my sleeping bag. They're like, what are you doing? I go, I'll stay. If I go down the hill, I'm going to die. Well, you can't stay here. Now, I'm on parole. I'm on federal Shit. parole, right? They call the sheriff. Sheriff comes. He sees me. He knows that I'm shot out, man. And he's like, do you have a number to call? I go, yeah, I called my dad. My dad came and got me, right? Go back down the hill. I'm staying at my parents' house. I got to call the Freedom Ranch every other day, right? They check, you know, hey, just checking in. Nope, not yet. Okay, next. 
Just checking in. No, not yet. Meanwhile, this time, you're supposed to say stay sober. Dude, I'm a shot-out alcoholic, man. I'm tore up from the floor up, man. I fell through the floor. I'm done. Like a honey-baked ham at grandma's, man. I'm done. Glazed. Finally, I get into the Freedom Ranch, man, and it's a 120-day program, right? I'm broke. I got nothing. County-raised, state-funded, federally housed, man. They get in for free, right? They don't charge me. They had a program where you can get in there, and they didn't charge you. Supposed to stay there for 120 days. Eight months later, holy shit. at 120 days, I walked in the office, and I'm like, I became a, a counselor, a peer counselor, and all of that while I was up there. I said, look, man, I, I can't go down the hill. I'm not ready to go down the hill. Fuck, you guys aren't making me go down the hill. I will fuck you up. I'm not going down the hill. Oh, calm down, Tommy. It's okay, bro. You can stay. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I, can, I can stay here. You can stay here for as long as you want. I'm but like, you were obviously worried if you yeah. went back down. I had nothing. You'd be on the bottle. The whole thing, right? Where were your parents at this point? Did they disowned you, basically? We bailed no. you out enough? No. But they were fed up, and yeah. my family never did, but they were fed up. They, mm -hmm. you know and great friends with my ex-wife. I love her dearly, dearly. I wish everybody had a relationship with their ex like I do because the world would be a better place. So I finish up, I wake up one day because I heard again with a voice that said, you need to go down the hill. You have shit to do. And it was just like that. You need, I'm laying on my bed and I hear, you need to go down the hill. You got shit to do. And I wake up and I'm like, Fuck it. I got to go down the hill. I got shit to do. Went in the office. I said, somebody call my dad. I'm leaving. I want to go home. Oh, hold on. Come. No, I'm going home, man. I got shit to do. Went down the hill, saw a help wanted sign at the docks for a fish cutter. It's the only skill I had at that time. Yeah, because you were born and raised on boats. Yeah. Yeah, man. I can cut fish all day long. You know, it's not a six or an eight hour shift. I'll cut fish all day long, man. Get a job at Catalina Offshore as a fish cutter. Saw what they were doing and went, man, we could really flip this place and make some money here for these guys. Yeah. And we did. And we, we started that. And we started Collaboration Kitchen, a dinner event, which had some of the high-powered chefs who are now high-powered who weren't so high-powered back in the day. You know, I mean, I had Diego Hernandez for crying out loud. He's the number one chef out of Mexico now. He was there with Javier Placencia, Diego Hernandez, Drew Deckman. They all came in with Flor Franco and did a huge dinner for me. 120 tickets sold out in less than eight minutes. Damn. And we raised all this money. And at every dinner, I told them, okay, here's where your money's going. Tonight's recipient is. And they would come up and here was their check. Yeah. You know, we'd hand them a check for five to $10,000. Thanks, everybody. And we'd clean up and then do it again next month. That's um, insane. Giving back to the community. And- and that's when you really were on the map here, right? Yeah we, yeah, we were really starting to make ways. And then my friend Rebecca Gardone, who is a member of the press club and worked for one of the big PR firms, I needed help. And she came on board, Catalina, and we really started cranking out the videos and on YouTube yep. and, and all of that stuff. Hey, this is what a white sea bass is, and this is where you can get it, and this is how you cook it, and this is what you do. Come on down, check it out, ask questions, know your source, know where your seafood comes from. Come see me. And we had a line out the door and it was crazy. And pretty soon it was like, you know, Dave, we got to build a retail market. Here's my drawing, you know, and we did it. We built a retail market and more people came and more people came and it was cool, man. And it was fun, but there was something missing. 
I was going to say, until it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, there was something for me personally, there was something missing spiritually. You feel like you're not yourself, like you're almost living this fake life where you're like, fuck, how did I get here? Yeah. And something's off. Yeah. At some point, it became a little too stressful for me, and I was losing interest, and certain people were saying certain things that were just not true to the mm -hmm. higher-ups. You know about that. Finally, you know, I got fed up, he got fed up, we went our separate ways, you know, and, and uh, I landed this show, uh, the market, and now I got a TV show. Yeah, what came first, the market or the TV? The TV show came first, right? Where, while you were building out the market. While we were building out the market, yeah. I don't know, man, people must be bored because there's a shit ton of people watching me because we're in our third season and growing. Dude, it's amazing. So where can people find the show? We're in, I'm on the Outdoor Network, the World Fishing Channel, Sportsman's Channel, World Fishing Network, Amazon Prime, um, and growing into more and more networks around the globe. Not just, you know, this isn't KPBS San Diego. Hell no. This is, this is like global. Dude, I'm standing in line. I don't mean to keep calling you dude, but yeah, you're my dude. <laughs> I love it. I, even, I don't even flinch. I'm like, huh? I'm at the, the, TSA lineup, right, in Chicago, trying to get on this. And there's a thousand people behind me, and this guy gets my passport. He looks at me, he looks at me, he goes, you're the fishmonger. No. And he turns to his buddy, and he's like, hey, man, I got Tommy the fishmonger here. And I'm like. In Chicago. And they're like, hey, man, can we take a selfie? And I'm looking around, and I'm like, bro, I got a thousand people behind me. going to kick my ass here. Dude, that's Let's get awesome. this line going. No. So we snap a couple selfies. We get through the whole thing, and we're on the other side, man, and these people are coming up. Hey, I thought I recognized you. Can we get a picture? Selfies are the new autograph, bro. Oh, no question. I just came back from Virginia, did a shoot back there, Chesapeake Bay, who, by the way, I've eaten a lot of oysters, Chesapeake Bay. They've got the best. My grandfather used to say that. I was in down south in Bayou Labatry, Alabama. The people of the south, man. That southern hospitality is cool. Hell yeah. Yeah. I asked for a salad. I got coleslaw. I looked up. She said, oh, bless your heart. I said, I know what that means. <laughs> You're telling me to <laughs> F off. <laughs> you know? And we're in, uh, we're in Virginia, you know? And I was like, yeah, I'm from California. Don't hold that against me, though. You know, and they'd laugh, and people would ask, is it really as bad as we see on the news? Isn't it crazy? And I'm like, how do you, an how do you answer that? Because being a homeless, drug addict, alcoholic, blah, blah, eating out of trash cans, I mean, boss man at Hodad's, man, used to bring me a half a burger at night. I miss him so much. Yeah, because he knew I couldn't eat the whole thing. I'd throw up and lose it. And just all kinds of weird stuff. See, I get the flying monkeys going in my head, man, and I start remembering all these stories, and I forgot where I was. Right. On the last one, you know. <laughs> your, I'll get your you list, back. Your listeners are probably like, oh, no. I know they're at a dispensary, but is this guy high? <laughs> no, I'm, I, I, I keep mental track. I, I'll get you back on track. Yeah. Essentially, you have this TV show. Oh, yeah. Now you're here in your third season. You're yeah. getting recognized in Chicago. Yeah. But you're remembering back to a time where you had boss man throwing you half burgers because she'd puke them up. Yeah. People, That's heavy shit, man. People would cross the street to get away from me, and now they walk across the street to shake my hand. To get selfies so, with you. I'm having dinner downtown. This is be right before the pandemic. I'm having dinner downtown because I work with a lot of drug addicts and and 
work with a lot of nonprofits and things like that. Sure. I love Kitchen for Good. I love Mama's Kitchen, man. Amen. You know, I'm in. I'm all in. Yeah, I'm in. So I'm having dinner on the sidewalk in the gas lamp. Why? I have no idea. It's Anyways, you know, who does that? How fucked up is the gas lamp? Oh, it's right Cinderellaville. Now? You know why I call it Cinderellaville? Because uh -huh. at midnight, there's some chick on the corner with no shoe crying. No question. No question. <laughs> it's like PB. So this guy... I'm sitting there and I watch this older gentleman, black dude, right, with his wife. They're dressed to the nines and they're walking and he's staring at me and I see his eyes start to mist up and I, and I don't, I, I know that I know him, but I don't know where I know him and his wife reaches down into her purse and she wipes her eyes and she's coming and, and he's like, hey, Tommy, how are you? And I'm looking up at him. And I get up and I shake his hand and I go, hey man, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. He goes, he goes, I was behind a, a Chevron station. You went to fill up your tire with air. I was behind a dumpster smoking crack. And I looked up at him and I went, oh my God, Georgie. No. He goes, yeah. I, I threw his ass, I threw his strung out crackhead in my truck and drove him all the way to the Freedom Ranch and got him in there because I had been there for eight months and built a relationship with those guys. Right. Got the shot out crackhead. They tell me, oh, you got to take him to detox. My buddy who was in who's in charge there comes over and grabs Georgie. He says, we'll take care of him, Tommy. Have a good night. Took him away. Georgie got sober. I didn't recognize And you hadn't him. seen the guy? In no. Never How many years? Never been five, six years. Hadn't called me or anything. And now we talk like once a week. Now he's all so, and you see him down at the gas lamp, all dressed, dressed up in a nice. They were going to a play. Yeah, stuff like that, man. It all comes full circle. And it does. You know, it does. Do the right thing when nobody's watching. That's what you know. My mom used to say: Do the right thing when no one's watching. Good things are going to happen. Life's not that bad. It's okay. You know, and. And, uh, it's so true, though. Even in my lowest moments, are we talking you know, about the rut? Yeah. I still love life. I yeah. still put positivity out in the air. I still love my kids. I love my friends. I love my dogs. I love your dog. My dog. I love you. Sleeping. <laughs> your dog's crashed. He's down. like, yeah. I and love it. We just got to, as society, man, unplug. Unplug to the media bullshit that's what i tell my kids all the time get off your freaking phones and you go know, outside it's facebook it's twitter it's instagram you know what i use it all the time i throw up fish pictures hey yep. check out this fish come see me but don't engage in the shit the politics and stuff that's what they want yep that's what they want they meaning those that run this system that's what they want. That's you know? how they take control because we're too busy fighting with each other. What's bumming me out now is I'm reading all these stories with people who are just having regular altercations at a gas station and pulling out fucking guns. It's like, yeah. what the hell's with that, man? It's like yeah. everyone out and got their guns over the, uh, the pandemic and they armed up and now they're going out and shooting each other. Do you want to see tension? Be locked up and have 3,000 guys going off in a, in a prison riot because of the crack laws of the 90s. You know, that's tension. You can feel it, man. You can feel the tension. You can feel the anger and the hostility. And you can feel it just ready to burst. And all of a sudden, it's like a needle on a balloon full of confetti. And they pop it. And it's just bruh, mayhem. You know? It's just, 
society, man. We need to we need to pop that balloon and love one another. Everybody needs to be everybody needs like a 55 Ford truck that they can just cruise down the boulevard, you know. I <laughs> With hang, the joint. <laughs> I hang out I hang out down in Barrio Logan on La Vuelta. All the low rider clubs are down there. The kids are running around. I mean, kids, man, little kids running around, cruising on their lowrider bikes and stuff. It's like, you know, chilling at the park. We need to get back to America's roots, man. There's nothing wrong with Leave it to Beaver, Andy Griffin. There's nothing like that. We just don't have it anymore, man. The the, the media and, and Hollywood, or I don't even know if they make movies in Hollywood anymore, but TV... <laughs> Tell me more about the TV show. As, as far you said, you're in your third season. How did it all come about? Like, how, did so, it did it start with the phone call? Were you out pitching a pilot? No, none of that. My buddy Scott Laysath, I used to do these consumer shows with them at, called the Sporting Chef Cafe, where I would do the seafood, he would do Wild Game. This man, if it walked, crawled, slithered, two legs, four legs, flew, swim slithered out of a hole, whatever. I'm telling you, he's cooked it. He has several TV shows, Hunt Fish Cook, Dead Meat, Sporting Chef. So how did your paths originally cross? Through the sport fishing community, I developed a product called Uni Butter. It's a scent and attractant that's used on your lures that emits this scent in the water that drives fish crazy. So you developed that? Yeah, I still own that company and still make it today. That's amazing. Meth head. Yeah, you had to get creative. Yeah, you had to make mixed chemicals. So we had always talked about it. And then one day he's like, hey, can you get a bunch of commercial fishermen together and let's do a round table? I said, yeah. So I got a bunch of commercial fishermen that didn't like each other. Here locally? Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Fishermen don't like people in general. That's why they go fishing. Leave us alone. We just want to go catch fish. Makes sense. So we had this pretty heated round table discussion. It was very heated. And my buddy taped it, and mic- we were all mic'd up and sent it into the uh, network. And the network watched it and said, you have eight weeks to come out with your first show. We want eight episodes. Damn. So the majority of the first season of The Fishmonger on the Outdoor Channel. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll have all the links. Don't worry. Was shot on our phones. Mic'd up with your phones. With our phones. We shot a TV show. With our phones. Because? We got one shot at this. Okay. Airs. Ratings. Ratings? You're kidding me. Ratings? More ratings? Network loves it. Boom. They buy the show. The network buys the show. So before that, you had just developed the show with your partners. Yeah. Now, Scott, Scott Laysath, he's got like 27, 30 years or more with the outdoor channel okay and he's had hit shows so he's in like flint right so we get the show ratings are sky high calls me up hey tommy guess what we got season two right so what's on. his role is he a producer then producer director executive producer got it yeah so he was on the first season behind the camera directing gotcha. me second season he was there Third season, we just came back from Virginia. He didn't. He wasn't there, nor was the other guy, Jim. I'm working with um, a gentleman named Bill who does horror films and has a lot. He has a, a lot of awards, let's just say. Damn. He's very cool dude. Very cool. And he comes from a horror background? Yeah. Like 
Texas Chainsaw Cheerleaders. Right, that sort like, of stuff. Like yeah. Bloom House. All and he's crazy. like into it. And his movies, he's, and he's worked on high-end movies that have won Academy Awards. How did he get attached to this project? You know, he's a freelance camera guy. And you know, they all know, you know everybody. Yeah. So we shot season two and the show's all about what it takes t- to get good quality seafood on America's plates because 90% of our seafood that we eat is imported. 72% of that comes in, not inspected by the FDA. Seafood fraud runs rampant. That's awful. If you have a Chinese vessel that offloads in Ecuador, Ecuador becomes the country of origin. Our our food system is broken. That's so messed up. I'm going to give you an example of how broken our food system is. Remember growing up the Dole cocktail salad? Yeah. If you got two of the, che- the cherries, you, you were, were like stoked. Oh, two of them, right? Usually you end up with a half of one. And if you didn't get one, you were bummed out. Yep. I remember that well. And where did they come from? Where did, where was Dole? I always thought like Hawaii or something. Dole was in Hawaii. Yeah. Dole's not in Hawaii anymore. Where's Dole? Read your label. Know your source. Check the country of origin. I don't want to eat stuff from China. I just don't. Oh. I just don't. You know? I don't blame you. I'll eat beef from Venezuela, Venezuelan beef I'll eat, you know, but um, no, man, I want to eat something that's here. And that's why we got the TV show, The Fishmonger, was to promote the American fishermen and the family, the family dynamics. And we have a new show coming out, Scott does, called Ranch America. It's all about the ranchers, the independent ranchers, not the big giant feedlots. Right. The independent ranchers. Good. You know, and on the fishmonger, we talk about, you know, we were in Alaska, husband, wife, a five-year-old and a newborn on a boat. You know, wives are the anchors of fishermen, man. If you don't have an anchor, you're just adrift. You know, they're the ones that are holding it all together. The wives of fishermen. You can always tell a very successful fisherman. It's not by what kind of car he drives. It's what the wife drives. Really? And you can always live on your boat, but you can never fish off the front porch of your house <laughs> and make a living. It's true, though. Princess Seafoods in Alaska, Sitka. They use Charlie's Angels as a logo, but they're all holding up fish instead of guns. I walk in there. The captain on the boat is female. The whole crew is female. Everybody at the fish market is female. Everybody in, there's not one dude. Everybody in the processing facility is female. The forklift drivers are truck drivers. And these are absolutely stunning, gorgeous women. And they have got families and everything. And I'm like, there's no men here. It's like, no, but I got one at home. Exactly. I was cracking up, man. And, I, and it just came out on film and it stayed. Uh, you know, they the network let it stay. I'm like, you girls are truly kicking ass. You are badass. Damn. And they were like, thanks. I go, no, seriously, you got it going on, you know? And it's true. We just met some amazing people uh, throughout the country. You were telling me some story about what was electrocuting oh, fish? Oh, that go, was crazy. I go out with the the Marine police, right? So where's this? In Virginia, Chesapeake okay. Bay. And we're zipping along. He's got twin 450s on the back of this 35-foot center console, man. And we're ripping. Flying. And I'm like, man, well, this thing's hauling ass. And he goes to reach to go full speed. I'm like, yeah, we're, we're okay here, dude. <laughs> you know, doing 55 on this on the water. Like, and they're shooting while you're doing this? Yeah. All right. So we're running up, and we run into these other fishermen, and they got these big skiffs. 
they put they fire up this generator and they drop this cable over the side of the boat right and it's got a little foot pedal on it and he goes around in circles and he's foot pedaling foot pedaling foot all of a sudden all these catfish come up like tonnage and they run around in these skiffs three four guys in a skiff and they're scooping them with nets with just, nets just yeah yeah fishing a and barrel almost. the electricity this is something that i didn't know the electricity only zaps fish that doesn't have scales so this is an invasive species that they released in 1972 for the sport fishing these catfish in, yeah in chesapeake bay and they took over and they're foraging and they're eating everything and, and they don't have scales and they're a nuisance so the fishermen get 35 cents a pound no limit no season all you want right so they're getting like 2,000 pounds a trip making six seven trips a day so, you know, at 35 cents a pound, they're making a couple hundred bucks each trip. So at the end of the day, you make five, six trips, you're making 1,200, 1,500 bucks. Sure. You're scooping catfish off the surface of the, the water, water, crying out loud. It ain't that damn difficult. So then the catfish, they come to and they go back down and then they move to another area and they zap that. You should wait till you see the drone footage. Oh, on I this. can't wait. There's fucking catfish everywhere. Man. Oh, I can't I was wait. like, this is the greatest thing. And so I'm scooping and scooping and scooping this good old boy. He says, he says, uh, you handle a bait net pretty good. I said, yeah, I've handled a few, you know, in my lifetime. He says, you're looking for a job. I'm like, no, man, I got a job. Matter of fact, I got two jobs. <laughs> yeah, but what's funny though, when you bring that up, and this is how, and I know that other people think this as well, which is why I say it. People would think that now you're in your third season of a TV show. What are you doing working at Tunaville during the day? Shouldn't you have a staff doing that? I work. You That's work. That's what I do. Exactly. I got a great staff, you know. But you want to be on site. I, I need to be on site of because um, I need my fish case to be a certain way. My partner needs it to be a certain way. My investors need it. To be, my investors are all commercial fishermen. They get it. Yep. You know, I'm buying from commercial fishermen. One of my biggest customers is Mitch's Seafoods. Right. And they're an investor or your partner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at the end of every day, what I have left in my fish case that I cut fresh that morning goes to Mitch. Start fresh the next day goes to Mitch. Nobody does that. Nobody has that type of fresh fish every day. Yep. Mitch's Seafood has that fresh fish every single day, you know. So how much time are you spending out on the road then with the show? Um, so far this year for season three, it's been three and a half weeks. Damn, man. I leave tomorrow morning. I thought I was leaving Sunday. I had a Zoom meeting this afternoon. Right. It's okay, well, we'll see you tomorrow. And I'm like, no, Sunday. And they're like, no, you're leaving tonight or yeah, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow. So after this, I'm going to go home, pack up, you know. And what's it like on the road? Do they give you like uh show notes a script there's no script there's no script no it's just me bsing with commercial fishermen and executives of the industry because you've got a dream freaking job i know me. that I, is beautiful i know it and sometimes you know one of the directors will say hey tommy can you ask like this so like this show here i'm like hey we're going out catfishing and you're not going to believe it and things are going to get electrifying on the next fishmonger right. where did that come from 
Right. It just rolled out. Yep. And then we cut, and everybody's laughing, and you hear a guy in the background go, where the hell did he pull that out? <laughs> I don't know, man. Or if they need you to do it a different version, they can have you do it a different way. And yeah, but stuff. there's no there's no script. That's amazing. It's just guys talking. That's the best. I yeah. hate scripted formats. I can't do script. Like, like the show. I, know, I, I'm not here with any questions. We have, I'm here to let you talk. We have friends, uh, Rebecca Gardone and Marie Daniels. Uh-huh. Um, I was doing a TV commercial for the cystic fibrosis event that is at the Del Mar or the Hotel Dell every year. And I couldn't remember my line. I had one line. Oh, I've done that, man. You and just... they're holding up cue cards behind the camera. It doesn't help. I could not remember my line. Is that the all. worst? And I'm just like. And the longer it goes, the, the worse. Less you, the less you remember, and you got people waiting on you. Yeah. Oh God, you have yeah. to hit your mark. But I'll tell you, man, and I do think this is really a perfect place to end because you're reading cue cards, you're on TV, international show, and in it's third season. You've got this Endeavor Tunaville, and this has all happened within the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, seriously. It, yeah. It's, we're not talking this is – I mean, your whole life is 60-some-odd years in the making. But leading up to this. Leading up to this. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing for anybody who does find themselves in one of those aforementioned ruts – to look at something like what you're doing right now, it's a beautiful yeah. friggin' thing. It gives hope, a, it gives inspiration, yeah. and you realize that everything's gonna be okay if you're a good person and you yeah. stay the friggin' course, yeah. surround yourself with the right people. I mean, do you ever think you would have investors? No. I mean, come on. No. No. No, the only people that invested in me before was the Bureau of Prisons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our show. It's over. It's over. It is over. Is that it? That's it. Everybody still awake? Will you come on already? I I, I just can't stand these long goodbyes. All right. Big finish. See you later.